Last week, we looked at uh, Proverb 25, and we looked and saw that uh, we need to deal with our meism. And we deal with our meism by taking the back seat, by being concerned for other people, by using words of life as opposed to death words, by judging people wisely instead of critically. And so we, we saw that. We saw this is the need for us to deal with our own needs that we have in our lives, to, to fight that meism. But today, as we look at ver uh, chapter 27 of Proverbs, we're going to see that we need each other. We need God. We're dependent upon God, but we're also dependent upon other people. And one of the things that this brings about is it's a, it's a humbling truth that our humility uh, is, is dependent upon, it makes us dependent upon other people, makes us dependent upon God the Father. The uh, author starts out with this, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring. Uh, boasting, uh, it, humility really equals dependency. Dependency on God and dependency on others. But if we are boasting in self, what we're really doing is it's pride. And with a pride is, is independence, that we want to live on our own, that we want to call our own shots. And so planning is not wrong. We see that in Scripture all the time, that it's even commended in many ways. But how often do we live in another way? We all agree God is God. And we would say God is sovereign. He's over all things. And yet how often do we live as though it's not true, that we are in control. Paul Tripp uh, refers to this as being a functional atheist, which is, this is how he defines it. Yes, we believe that God exists, that he created the heavens and the earth, that the Bible is accurate, that paradise awaits us. We, but we often live at a functional level as if there is no God. Then he asked this question, this week, how many thoughts did you have, words did you speak, decisions did you make that omitted the Lord from your process entirely? When I read that, I was really convinced, where I just go through life and think that I'm the one who is in control. Jesus deals with this with a parable, and he talks, there's this young, rich young ruler, and this rich young ruler has had a huge harvest. And he's all excited, and he says, oh, this is great. What am I going to do with all my crops? I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll break, tear down my old barn. I'll build a bigger one, and I'll fill it up. And then I'll have riches and money for years to come, and I can eat, and I can uh, drink, and I can be happy. And Jesus says, and yet the Lord speaks to him and says, you fool. You fool. You do not know that your life is going to be called upon today. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And yet sometimes we act as though we control everything in our lives. I think in the parable, Jesus, what Jesus is addressing is not that it's wrong to plan and to build and to be successful, but the problem is, do we do it with a void of including God? Do we include God in the process? Is he a part of that? Or are we just saying, we can do this ourselves? And we also see this in James. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
What is your life? For you are a mist that appears in a little time and when it vanishes instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And that perspective that James is giving us is to realize that we are not in control and we cannot boast to say, I've got everything worked out. One of the things I learned in in the last couple years was to hold my plans lightly because I do not know what tomorrow brings. And that's what James is reminding us of. It's God who's God. It's God who's sovereign. We are not. Yes, we can plan and we can make strategies and we can move forward, but in doing so, we have to trust God if the Lord wills. What are the areas in which we have a tendency of boasting? And when we're boasting, we're replacing God, you know, on the throne, you might say. We're replacing God at the head of our lives. Well, Jeremiah deals with this. He talks about this in in Jeremiah 29. He says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Now let the mighty man boast in his might. Nor let the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's what God is, is asking us to boast in. Later on, Paul says, I boast in nothing except for the cross of Jesus Christ. So here we are. Do we boast in our, our, our strength? Do we boast in our might? Do we boast in our wealth? Do we boast in our wisdom, our education, our, our titles, our positions? Is that where we put our confidence or do we put our confidence? There's an antidote for this. We looked at it last week a little bit uh, in Philippians chapter 2. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became a servant and being made into the likeness of man. You see, it's a heart issue. It's not just a head issue, it's a heart issue. And God is calling us to boast not in ourselves, but to boast in him. And to be, have the attitude of Jesus Christ, who was God himself, yet did not boast in that. So then our passage, as we continue on, starts talking, shifts and says, okay, what does it look like for us to depend not only on God, but to depend on other people? And so our first one is going to be uh, coming up soon, but there's a book called The Band of Brothers, and it was written by Stephen Ambrose, and it depicts the easy company in World War II. And this was an elite company, and it was a company of men who had been trained in special ways that they had uh, were put in behind the enemy lines and to do guerrilla warfare and were really just very elite they were there at Normandy at D-Day. And they were one of the very first people to enter into the eagle's nest, Hitler's headquarters, on the day of the war ending. Here's a quote that he puts in here about what the men said about their relationship with their band of brothers. They found in combat the closest brotherhood they ever knew. They found selflessness. They found that they could love the other guy in their foxhole more than themselves. They found that in war, men who loved life would give their lives forever. 
for other people. And we do the same thing. We're in a battle. We need to be willing to give our lives for one another. But we all need band of brothers. We all need uh, people who to stand with us in the midst of life. And as I was thinking about it, I saw that there's three relational prerequisites that we need to have that need to exist for us to become a band of brothers for one another. First, we have to allow people into our lives. And do we allow people into our lives, I mean, really into our lives, or do we kind of hold them at arm's length? Secondly, we have to be vulnerable and open with them. Or do we just kind of do surface stuff? And then lastly, the, the other people have to be willing to really engage with you for your growth and your change in Christ. Now, this goes both ways. I need to be that person for somebody else, and I need other people to be that person for me. Our first area, we are, first we're going to jump to verse 17, then we're going to come back and we're going to deal with some other things, because I think verse 17 kind of summarizes what, what God wants to show us in this passage. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Uh, friends sharpen one another. Uh, it, it's part of, of the process that we encourage and, and, and be involved in people's lives. And so there's a sharpening process. But if you think about the sharpening process, it's not without friction, is it? It's not without a little bit of pain. If you think about a, a sword and it's gotten dull, and they might put it into the fire, and they might heat it up, and they take out a hammer, and they pound away at it to sharpen those edges. Then they take it, and they put it on a grinding wheel. That's a process there that is not always easy, but it's apt to do that in one another's lives. As I looked at this as well, the idea of process of sharpening one another um, I, I, th I went to the one another passages that we see, especially in the New Testament, because I've always thought they are a, a picture of what God wants the body of Christ to be. And so here are three of the one another's. I said, these are really necessary for us to be a band of brothers for one another. We need to be devoted to one another. That devotion means that, you know, I'm just looking down here, John or Steve, you know, you are... Uh, I'm devoted to you. I'm committed to you. We need to have equal concern for one another. Go back to last week, you know, in Philippians 2. And Jesus says that your concern should not just be for yourself, but for others. In fact, they should be more significant than yourself. So we are to have concern for one another. And then we are willing to serve one another in love. And that love becomes the motivation so we're going to be following and seeing how we sharpen one another in the rest of this passage. The, uh, in verse 2 it says, Let another pray and connects with your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. This goes back and, and connects with you know, boasting in ourselves. Uh, one of the things that we do is we need each other to point this out in our lives. Uh, one of the things I thought about was the whole idea of, of fishing for compliments. Let's say you're involved at work or the church or someplace, and you put on this, this program. You put on a, an event of some sort. 
and you're visiting with somebody who you knew came to that event, and you, you're fishing for compliments. So you say something like this. You go, boy, wasn't that a fun event? Really what you're looking for is someone say, you did a really good job. That was excellent. And so we need other people to point out in our lives when we're fishing for compliments, when we're looking for praise from men instead of praise from God. And so I need men in my life to point that out to me as well. Then we come to our next one, and that's a open rebuke. It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Bands of brothers will do this. They will rebuke, they will admonish, they will uh, instruct you when you are going off course. They will let you know with an open rebuke, but a, a rebuke that comes out of love and gentleness when you go astray. Now, it's easy, you know, in, in marriages, it's oftentimes, you know, that becomes like the first, let's say, line of defense for our character, right? <laughs> Where our, our wife or our husband speaks into our lives, but we also need other people in our lives. In my case, I need other men in my life who are going to do that for me, who are going to admonish me and rebuke me. Second uh, Timothy 3.16 says this. And I want you to see this picture of what's going on here and see how a rebuke from a friend can have that same process. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So let's say you are, you know, you're, you're a friend and you see something happening in a friend's life and you're teaching them through, through rebuke, through reproof. And the idea is the purpose of that reproof is not to humble them or not to uh, just to knock them down, but the perfect is that correcting. So you see that in Scripture. Scripture's purpose is one of them is to reproof us, but it's also to correct us as well. Uh, in between college and seminary, I was teaching in a Christian school. It was only like three-quarters of a mile away. And I'd walk there every day, because unless it was raining. But it had snowed that night, and so I was walking. And so I walked in the, the path of, uh, to where the school was. There was only one track of, of tires, and so it was really hard to keep my feet uh, in the inside. But what would happen is that if I did step out and I got snow on my shoes, uh, it would show the indentation. That's what reproof does. It shows us that we're off the path. But the purpose is to get us back on the path. So when we are rebuking others or we are being rebuked, the sole purpose is the correcting and the training in righteousness. We come to our next point, which is faithful wounds. Uh, faithful wound are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Keller, Tim Keller states this, real friends provide open rebuke. They teach each other things they need to hear even if they are painful. If you are just a yes friend and not willing to openly rebuke a friend, you are doing them no good. In fact, you're living more like an enemy than you are a friend. People need that open rebuke from what they observe. 
somebody who's going to speak into their lives and let them know what they observe. Tim Keller in his little devotional also said, it's kind of like your own voice. The first time that you hear your voice recorded, you go, that's not me. I remember in seminary, we had to have our, our sermons uh, videotaped and recorded. And the first time you, you saw it, you go, oh, no, I don't sound like that, do I? He goes in the same way, you don't know yourself. You really don't know yourself. You really need other people to speak into your life. We all have blind spots. I have blind spots. You have blind spots. And we need other people to come into our lives and show us what they are. And then he goes on, and the next verse that we're going to look at is verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. This is a really beautiful picture, isn't it? You see the situation that there's two friends who are together and one is giving counsel to the other. Uh, and it's a sweet counsel because it comes out of a, an earnest counsel, which really means a concern, a love. It means that they are, it's a sincere counsel for their betterment. And when it talks about the oil and the perfume make the heart glad, and during that time it was a, it was a custom oftentimes when people, uh, as they entered into a house, we see this in the uh, Gospels, um, oftentimes their feet would be washed and there might be a little bit of perfume put on them, but they'd also put perfume on their heads. And this perfume, uh, an oil, uh, like a perfumed oil, be put on their head as just a fragrance and it would make their heart glad. And that's what, that, that's what a sincere, concerned, loving counsel of one friend to another is like. And that's what God's calling us to be a part of. Counseling or, or can be, show up or mentoring can show up in a variety of different ways. Uh, what, there's like you can have a teacher, you can have a discipler, you can have a spiritual guide. Uh, counselor, and it comes in a different roles that we might have or different approaches to how to counsel or mentor another person. But it's a beautiful way of just saying, how can I come alongside somebody when they are in need? And then uh, lastly, uh, uh, verse uh, 10, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Proverbs seventeen seventeen says this, a friend loves at all times. Fake friends will go away when things get difficult. Faithful friends get better when things are hard. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24. We all need those kind of brothers in our lives. Tell you a story about um, a men's group, a men's village group. There's four men in this village group. And they've been meeting for many years. And there was a situation where uh, one of the marriages was in really a, a difficult situation. And the wife actually came to one of the other men in that village group and said, I'm at a wit's end. If things don't change with the anger and the words, I don't know if I can continue. So the three other men met with him. 
and explained how serious the situation was and came alongside him and said, you, by God's grace, have to change or you will not be married. He responded. The other men came alongside him during their Bible studies. One of the men actually met with him on an almost weekly basis for a year to keep him accountable and to, keep, and to encourage him. And by God's grace, that marriage is thriving today because there were men who were willing to be a band of brothers for another. We need to be a band of brothers for others, and we need others to be a band of brothers for us. Derek Bonhoeffer wrote Life Together. And of course, we know his story, right? He was in prison. Uh, he was in prison for several reasons. One, because he was a Lutheran who wasn't uh, just going with the, uh, com with the uh, Hitlers, with the Nazi regime, but also he tried to assassinate Hitler. But that's aside the point. Um, but he was in prison, and uh, he wrote Life Together. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living in common Christian life with other Christians, praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. In other words, we take it for granted. We take it for granted that we live in a culture where we have the freedom to meet that we have the freedom to come together and we have the freedom to speak into each other's lives. But that's what God's calling us to do. So now what I'd like to do is I'd like to speak out to some of the men in my life and give them permission to speak into my life. So Greg, Greg, Sean, and Robert, keep me accountable for my walk with Jesus in my relationship with Lori. Dave, Jake, Bruce, Steve, Doug, and there could be many more. Let me know when I boast in myself, when I use harsh words, or I'm critical. Paige, Lee, Don, Greg, Chris, Andrew, correct me when I allow ministry to become an idol in my life. Ed, Lance, Terry, Steve, be there when I am in need of counsel. Lee earlier talked about communities. And communities are a great way to connect with the larger body of Christ. But we also have village groups and that's a place where you really have more intimacy. That's where you can really build those relationships where there can be a band of brothers. Where we can speak into each other's lives. We're starting men's breakfast on the 14th of September. There are men's village groups. There are women's village groups. The women's ministry has a lot going on Wednesday nights, Thursday morning. There are village groups that go through different communities, and I would encourage you to be a part of that if you can. It's only there. It's in that setting where we really build those relationships that allow us to be a band of brothers to one another. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we know that we can't do this on our own. We know that we need your grace.
we know to work in us, to strengthen us, to challenge us. And so, Father, we do pray. We pray uh, that you would provide for each of us a band of brothers to speak into our lives uh, in a way that helps us to grow in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.